This podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be relied upon as legal, financial, or professional advice. A professional advisor should be consulted regarding your specific situation. It is also not an offer to sell or purchase Edgepoint Investment Funds. Hello, everyone. My name is Derek Skomorowski, and welcome to the second quarter of 2021 Edgepoint Fixed Income Commentary titled Pushing on a String. Playing my first round of golf of the 2021 season, I couldn't help but reminisce on life without COVID safety protocols, while also noting that, honestly, I wouldn't mind if some of them stayed even as we return to a virus-free world. If you haven't been to the golf course in the past 18 months, experts were quick to recognize ball washers as a lurking super spreader. So those are gone. I do look forward to playing with a clean golf ball again. And taking the flag out of the hole is a no-go, which might not sound like a major detractor, but I've wrapped my putt off the flag stick enough to hold a grudge. A few courses have even removed the color-coded blocks from the tee box, citing touch points. I don't know who's licking the tee before firing a drive, so that one is weird. On the other hand, having each player drive their own golf cart is an absolute luxury. Nobody likes making their playing partner chase a ball 100 yards in the wrong direction, while the other's drive sits perfectly in the fairway. And spacing tee-off times 10 minutes apart means you spend a lot less time twiddling your thumbs waiting for the group ahead to get off the green. Not sure how it prevents COVID, but it sure keeps the round moving. And in case you aren't a golfer, there are similar aspects to everyday life that you might find more relatable. I'm sure a lot of you look forward to attending your next concert or family gathering, but other aspects of stopping the spread are kind of enjoyable. In my opinion, fist bumps instead of handshakes and no more cramming the elevator with 18 people can both become permanent fixtures. We have a no taking the subway rule at the office that's been a blessing. And in fact, I'd vote to keep the six feet of personal space a common courtesy altogether. Similar to the pros and cons of protocols meant to keep the pandemic at bay, there are pretty obvious pros and cons to whatever it is central banks are trying to do to keep volatility at bay. Filling the banks to the gills and deposits, I assume, makes the COVID-plagued economy feel pretty good, but it's hard to imagine the consequences will be very pleasant on the other side. A recent Wall Street Journal article described one peculiar side effect of the policy of central banks buying as many treasury mortgage-backed bonds as they can get their hands on. With newly printed cash flooding the system, banks today are hesitant to accept incremental dollars as they lack the conviction that lending the money out will be profitable on the other side. When the Federal Reserve or a similar central bank conjures up digital dollars to buy government bonds, those dollars inevitably find their way into the banking system. The latest U.S. $1.9 trillion worth of giveaways included $1,400 checks or thereabouts that were helicoptered through the economy. The Federal Reserve printed the dollars and the consumers were sent the checks. Whether those checks were deposited directly or spent on groceries, toys, or McDonald's along the way unless they were withdrawn as cash, those dollars instantly became a deposit at a bank. There's a cost of taking on deposits and combined with post-2008-2009 regulation meant to shore up big bank balance sheets, there's a real incentive for the largest U.S. banks, J.P. Morgan and Bank of America in particular, not to grow. Once a deposit has been made at a bank, the choice that bank has to do with the cash are limited. Ideally, they'd lend it out to businesses and consumers, and there was a time 10 years ago where very nearly 100% of deposits went to such borrowers. Not today. The more the Fed prints, the more the gap between deposits and loans will rise. 
and the difference largely bids up asset prices. So, as mentioned, in the spirit of being an equal opportunist, just like finding the good and bad of safety, COVID safety protocols, let's cover the good and bad of crazy central bank policy. The good, no doubt, is how incredibly strong the economy feels. Across our portfolios, business earnings have been phenomenal. There's no telling what happens as stimulus wanes, but COVID resurgence aside, if I had to guess, judging by the hour-long line outside every winners I see, the consumer is just getting started. The flip side, however, is finding a way to make money as a fixed income investor. If there's one thing we can say for certain, it's that making money over the next 30 years is going to be a whole lot harder than the past 30 years. The age of the near universal double digit investment return track record is over. And it's hard not to look with envy at the bountiful return environment available to investors in the 1980s and 1990s. Today, single digit price to earnings ratios on great businesses and double digit interest rates on government bonds might as well be the Easter buddy. We've said in the past that the mind isn't wired to understand compound interest. And while the difference between 10% and 2%, the yield available on 30 year government bonds then and now might not sound insurmountable, Today's interest rates turn the next generation's investment goals from a molehill into a mountain. A $100,000 investment in a 30-year Government of Canada bond yielding 10% on June 30th of 1991 would have turned into $1.75 million at the end of the term. If you took $100,000 and made the same investment on June 30th of this year, that 2% yielding bond would have produced just $180 thousand dollars. Long-term bonds today are no way to build wealth. They might do well in the short term, but from now until they mature, a 30-year government bond yielding 2% is going to deliver a 2% return for 30 years. If an asset class cannot accomplish the simple task of maintaining the purchasing power of your savings relative to anything you want, might want to buy in the future, then it's not an asset class that you want to be in. At this year's Symbria Day, we talked about the flexibility of our investment approach. It's this flexibility to adapt to different markets, to look across asset classes without boxing ourselves into a specific geography, size, industry, or rating that allows us to look at the next 30 years through a lens of optimism rather than a haze of pessimism. It's the flexibility to do what a business person would do. In our balanced portfolios, when government bonds are positioned to deliver next to nothing, the last thing we want to do is lock in those interest rates. Being a long-term lender today is all risk and no reward. But the tailwinds of Federal Reserve policy trying to immunize the population from reality have at the same time meant solidly improving fundamentals across our portfolio companies. Still, opportunities remain. While many businesses initially impacted or perceived to be impacted by the early onset of the pandemic have recovered, Others continue to struggle and find themselves out of favor. Casinos, cinemas, restaurants, and events are only starting to recover. Automotive and aerospace supply chains are in complete disarray and people have a bad taste in their mouth from their recent experience in the oil patch. Outside these industries with improving cash flows and easy access to financing, accelerating debt paydowns have meant high yield issuers are giving us our money back. Combined with opportunistic selling at frothy prices, our high yield bond allocation 
has come down a lot from the depths of March 2020 in both of our balanced portfolios. Aware, as always, that part of the role our balanced portfolios play is in buffering downside in times of volatility, the proceeds from high-yield bond sales and maturities have been allocated to our dry powder investment grade sleeve, where it salivates for another hiccup in markets. Even with our defensive positioning, the fixed income component to our balanced portfolios can achieve a higher yield to maturity than anything resembling the Canadian Broad Market Index, which is tracked by most other balanced portfolios, all the while we maintain a significantly shorter average duration. This short duration is important as it gives us enormous flexibility to take advantage of the next opportunity, whether it comes from higher overall interest rates or wider credit spreads. If the economy does roll over as central banks remove the proverbial punch bowl of free money, our investors should consider any ensuing volatility a gift to their future returns. The cost of managing money this way is that we have no idea when the next bout of volatility could come. And if we are several years from the next great opportunity, we're going to be leaving a lot of money on the table. That said, with interest rates in the doldrums, this opportunity cost is lower than ever. That being said, if there's one lesson reinforced by the experience of the past 18 months, it's how well high yield bonds perform through market cycles. In our view, the absolute best way to generate pleasing fixed income returns over the next 30 years is our edge point variable income portfolio, a portfolio that can continuously pursue the absolute best opportunities, even if it means it might experience a greater short-term decline than a lower yielding fund the next time markets are walloped by a pandemic. As always with high yield bonds, these bouts of volatility are much less severe than with a pure equity portfolio and are a gift to both new and existing investors as interest coupons and principal maturities are reinvested at increasingly attractive prices. We're as excited as ever about the prospects for the high yield bonds we own and the fundamentals of the businesses we lend to continue to surprise to the upside. To the extent we venture away from high yield bonds, it will be to improve the characteristics of the overall portfolio. But we also aren't confined to investing in the asset class. And as good as business fundamentals have been, and as much as central banks keep spraying money around, our high yield bond coupon payments cannot grow. This is why one of the most fruitful hunting grounds for our portfolio this year has been a growing allocation to convertible bonds, an asset class with almost laughable value given where the most popular high yield bonds are trading. These unique securities behave just like a bond and have the typical characteristics of protecting downside while coming with the added optionality of being able to convert into a company's equity if the stock rises above a certain level. With convertible bonds today, not only are we receiving an attractive yield in a world where short-term interest rates are at zero, but if the economy remains as hot as it seems and this vibrance filters through to our businesses, we have a very real shot of making significantly more. Our allocation to convertible debt in the edge point variable income portfolio has increased from 11% to 19% over the past 18 months. And we have a number of attractive transactions in the hopper that could very well increase our investment weight in the near term. One example held in both our balanced portfolios and in EPVIP is the Mullen Group five and three quarter percent bonds due November of 2026. 
This company operates one of the largest last mile trucking and logistics and warehousing networks in Western Canada and Ontario. They also run an oil and gas services division that several years ago would have generated two thirds of company income, but has since struggled through the downturn. Lending money to Mullen was a straightforward decision. The company owns real estate across the country estimated to be worth more than the value of its debt. Beyond having an excellent credit profile, Mullen Group has also built a great business, one that any rational business person would love to own. The company comes with a great management team with a strong insider ownership. And in fact, the founder and CEO own $60 million worth of stock. This management team has taken advantage of downturns time and again to enhance shareholder value. The company's dominant last mile trucking business has been a beneficiary of growth in e-commerce and just-in-time inventory. And the company has the added torque of increasing profitability in an eventual oil and gas recovery. Having made our Mullen investment at New Issue in June of 2019, we saw the option value of the convertible bonds from the start. What we didn't see was a pandemic. Still, this bumpy ride was a blessing in disguise as both the company and our portfolios took advantage of the malaise. Mullen's management team went to work acquiring four different companies, all while repurchasing stock and reducing shares outstanding by close to 8%. We went to work by more than tripling the amount of bonds we owned in the Edgepoint Variable Income Portfolio, ramping the portfolio weight from 25 to 5% last spring at a yield near 10%. After already generating a holding period return of 33.4%, our excitement for the position has only grown. Combining the value we saw in the short haul logistics business in June 2019, the enhancements to value made over the past 18 months and the real possibility for resurgent activity in the oil pan. Prospects for Mullen are bright. The bonds today yield 2.8% to maturity, among the lowest in the portfolio but the stock sits at $13.36, just 4.8% away from the $14 threshold we need before we start getting equity upside. With five years remaining to get there, there's plenty of time for us to make significantly more. It's been a strange 18 months, combining a pandemic, a wild ride in markets, and the funny stuff that came with them. You're not alone if you have a love-hate relationship with the current environment. Aspects have been frustrating, others invigorating. As ever, we believe our portfolios are ready to thrive through inevitable future turmoil, but at the same time are positioned to participate if the good times persist. Accepting the good along with the bad, we'll do our best to ensure investors' experience is on par with the past as much as the future will be anything but. Thank you for your time. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. This is not an endorsement or recommendation of any security. Edgepoint Investment Group may be buying or selling positions in securities mentioned. No endorsement of any third parties or their advice, opinions, information, products, or services is expressly given or implied by Edgepoint Investment Group. This podcast contains certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking, Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance results, and the actual results or market developments may differ materially from these statements. The whole or any parts of this podcast may not be reproduced, copied, transmitted, or disclosed to third parties without the consent of Edgepoint Investment Group.